Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. But also to make sure the portfolio is right for your age. So the person with a 50-year period between now and retirement really shouldn't be focusing on income. They should be focusing on capital growth. They should be focusing on getting exposure away from Australia and, and making sure that they don't have too much of their portfolio in cash. It's very easy to get invested in cash, but the truth is that over time, volatility is high in the market, but it does provide a very handy source of return over the many, many years which those types of people have to invest. G'day, and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. You may remember a few episodes ago when we spoke with professional investor Steve Mapp. He was talking about the portion of his portfolio deployed in ETFs, and in particular one with the name of HACK, H-A-C-K. It's an ETF focused on cybersecurity. It's garnered a lot of interest, so who better to find out more from than with a co-founder of BetaShares, who are the issuers of this ETF, and their head of strategy, Ilan Israelstam. G'day, Ilan. Hey, how you going, Phil? Good, good. Thanks very much for coming over. So you're fond of startups and technology and venture capital. Tell us a bit about your life up until this point. Great. Well, uh, like many Australians, I am an immigrant. So mm-hmm. I came here from the South African nation, uh, came here with my family. We actually immigrated together when I was at the very end of primary school. So uh, that was uh, my journey. We actually traveled around quite a bit before we ended up in Australia, but that's uh, probably something for another story. But I am an immigrant and I studied here in Sydney at the University of New South Wales. I did a law degree and commerce degree. Great to study law, but I worked out probably after the second uh, lecture I ever had that I didn't want to be a lawyer. 
so I always had an entrepreneurial side though. Through, through the years, I had been involved in a number of entrepreneurial endeavors. And I think a lot of that comes from being an immigrant. I think immigrants uh, do understand how much has been given up in the process of immigrating and, and seeing what people, you know, one's parents has done. And, and that's made me pretty keen to, to get involved in, in something that uh, I can call my own, uh, or at least uh, jointly own. Yeah. So the startup space. The startup yeah. space, mm-hmm. definitely. Which yeah. everyone's very interested in these days. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And we, we, we were doing startups as young kids. I remember setting up a mini golf for my neighbours in the North Shore of Sydney, charging 20 cents for people to come play on a mini golf course and all that kind of fun stuff, little kid stuff that ended up going into Little businesses that one does when at university, so mm-hmm. bartending, mobile, and we did a uh, DJing business and all this, all this fun stuff. But actually, when I finished university, I actually ended up joining a, a corporate job in the, a company called the Boston Consulting Group, otherwise known as BCG. It's a strategy consulting firm where you basically help CEOs make decisions about their business. So, you know, should we enter China? Should we start this particular product line, et cetera, et cetera? So that was my first real job, mm. which I did in Sydney and New York. Mm. So, so that was that. And then I, the entrepreneurial itch came back though. Uh, and after about five and a half years, I decided it was time to go out and do my own thing again. So my story actually was to go to China of all places. I wanted to experience the growth that was happening over in China, which was palpable uh, back then. This is around about 2006. And I went over there looking around for opportunities and ended up starting actually an outdoor advertising business in China, which was putting up digital billboards in tertiary educational institutions such as universities, the aim of you know selling some of that digital advertising space. So that was a pretty fun experience. I ended up uh, with a reasonably sizable team, but it was a lonely experience, actually. I was doing it by myself. I had a large number of Chinese-speaking staff. I was the only non-Chinese-speaking staff member there. Well, I suppose I was managing those 45 people. So it was quite lonely. And so once that uh, was over, I decided to come back to Sydney and connect up with a few uh, friends of mine that were actually at university with me. Mm. And together, we started looking at business opportunities uh, in primarily the finance space at that point. And that is where we happened upon the exchange traded fund space. And that is why uh, we are now building out a business called BetaShares, which Mm. is in ETFs. So when did that start? What year was that in? Yeah, we started the business in 2009 mm-hmm. and actually put our first product on the ASX at the end of 2010. So it's almost 10 years now. In December, it will be 10 years. Because um, there wasn't that many ETFs around then at no, that stage, there, were there? there wasn't. There wasn't. There were still some big players there, but the mm. industry was small. It was a $5 billion industry comparing yep. to $65 billion now when we started. So, But there were some big players there, but we were the first independently sort of Australian-owned and managed firm to start back yep. then. So. It was, a, it was a great great experience getting things started, but uh, like everything, took longer than we thought, but uh, now has snowballed quite a bit to, to become you know, a decent-sized decent organisation. So everyone that comes on the podcast that's involved in ETFs, I always ask them for a definition of mm. what an ETF is. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got a slightly different take on it, but um, people still they're, – they're quite simple products, but then people – have a bit of trouble finding, getting their head around what they actually are. So what's your definition? Yeah, my definition is to look at the letters and to give each of those letters meaning, right? So ETF, exchange traded is the first two letters. That means it is something, it is a way to invest that is bought and sold like a share. And because it's bought and sold like a share, of course, that means there's no minimum invest, 
investment other than what a broker might impose on you, which in Australia is around $500. It also means you can buy and sell at any time during the trading day. It means that you are able to essentially do whatever you want in, without, within the trading day period. So that's the exchange traded part. So they bought and sold like shares. And the F in ETF is fund. And fund to most people would uh, mean something that is diversified, something that is protected from a regulatory point of view. The structure is a protected consumer-friendly structure. So it is a fund that trades on the stock exchange. But I suppose the ETF acronym doesn't do it justice entirely because what's important is that most ETFs are passively managed and most ETFs will track an index. So what that will mean, by example, using an example of one of our products, which is a NASDAQ 100 ETF. Everyone knows the NASDAQ 100 or should because it's been probably one of the best performing <laughs> stock exchanges <It's> big. <laughs> of all time. Yep. So you can then go ahead and buy on the Australian Stock Exchange a fund that provides you access to the 100 stocks in the NASDAQ 100 in a single trade. So instead of choosing between Facebook, Amazon, Google, you can buy NDQ and that gives you exposure to all 100 of those stocks. So that would be my definition of an ETF. And of course, with that definition and the meaning behind it comes the benefits, which are, as I mentioned before, no minimum fees, tradable and liquid. You can buy and sell at any time. It is low cost, as you'd imagine, because if it's index tracking, you don't pay a star fund manager like many that I'm sure have come onto your program. We just track an index so we can pass those very low costs on to investors. It's also transparent, so you can see at any time what's actually in the portfolio on, on, on any ETF manager's website. And uh, it's very, very accessible. It's a very easy way to get access to things you otherwise wouldn't be able to access, such as technology. One of the key aspects of an ETF as well is you've got market makers. At any time of the trading day, the value reflects the underlying index or the, the, the basket of shares and stocks that make up that index. Is that that's the case, isn't yeah, it's it? Basically, yeah. that's correct. Mm. So essentially, because you have full transparency on the portfolio, the ETF will be priced at a very similar price to the underlying securities that it aims to track. So tech investing has become very popular in Australia. It's one of the most recent things, isn't it? And um, tell us about how that's or how you've seen it from your point of view in the way that Australians want to invest in the tech sector. Yeah, there's an insatiable demand for investing in the tech sector. People have realised just how imposing and important technology has become to our day-to-day -day lives. I mean, if you spend a bit of time thinking about your day so far, you would have interacted with at least 10, probably 12, if not more technology businesses, right? So we don't need to think about what those are, but clearly it's going to be an Apple or a Samsung or a Facebook or a Google. And so people realize pretty quickly that this is a space that has very significant growth ahead of it and has become not really a sector anymore. It really is just the world. But as an Australian investor, it's not easy to get exposure to large technology companies or growing technology sectors. Although I am happy to say that the technology sector in Australia is growing quite nicely. Many of your listeners, I'm sure, would have exposure or at least have heard of companies like Afterpay and Seek and Zero. So those companies are great Australian businesses, but the truth of the matter is there's still very little lo local options. And so from our perspective, we have found that ETFs have become a very, very significant way for Australian investors who otherwise have got little option to invest in overseas markets and in particular in the technology sector. Now, not only the big guys, but also thematic products and thematic ideas such as cybersecurity and robotics and artificial intelligence, etc. So what, what you can now get in the technology sector because it's become so large, you can choose from mature, established players, really some of the biggest companies in the world, for example, via the NASDAQ 100, Amazon, Facebook, you know, Alphabet and Netflix, 
etc., but also fast-growing subsectors such as, as I said, robotics, uh, cybersecurity, Australian technology, etc. So we as a business realized, as you correctly pointed out, we've always been interested in startups, and in fact, uh, we actually invest in startups as well. So we realized the importance of technology investing relatively early, and now actually have the largest range of technology-oriented products available on the ASX. Are these US companies and Australian companies as well, or companies around the world, well, I guess? Yeah, yeah it's not limited mm. to the US, it's around mm. the world. So we've got six different products, and I think at the moment we're managing about $1.6 billion out of our total $12.5 billion in technology oriented exposures mm-hmm. uh, and we've got six different funds ranging from that very large nasdaq 100 style exposure all the way through to asian technology giants so you know you may have heard of companies like alibaba so you can get an asset you can get an etf that gives you exposure to 10 cent alibaba um, and some very significant asian companies such as samsung etc that's called asia actually on it's called the ticker is asia all the way through to uh, robotics and artificial intelligence via our RBTZ. Uh, we, you know, you can get exposure to uh, things like the Australian technology sector. We actually brought out the first Australian technology sector ETF, which is actually really great. We really like the idea of being able to support the Australian uh, industry, uh, but then also cybersecurity as well, which I know will be the focus of a number of questions. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What's, what's one of the um, Australian companies that you find exciting? Let's just hone in. What's something that you find exciting? Look, it's very hard not to be yeah. impressed by what Afterpay has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they've created a new global category. They are now a global business, very much a global business. Is that business. the buy now, pay later, BNPL sector? Yeah, so yeah. that sector. So I suppose the, the, the insight that was uh, you know, generated by the founders of Afterpay is that just how interesting instalment payments would be, paying by instalments. It's actually an Australian development, isn't it? It absolutely is. It comes out of Australia. It's an idea that's now growing into the US and Europe and the UK, isn't it? And some very fast followers out of Europe and the UK, but Afterpay has just done phenomenally well. Uh, So that would be one I would call out. And, you know, to be honest, it's actually almost a win-win for almost everybody. You know, the the consumer gets to pay by instalment without interest so long as they pay, you know, on time and that's critical. But if they do pay on time, they get they get they they pay by instalments without interest. The um, the retailer gets a whole lot of new clients and they're happy to pay a little bit for that and of course afterpay and the investors are all winning. So it's an impressive business, no question about that. So I'm very impressed by that. Look, Zero, which is not an Australian company, it's a New Zealand company. Listed oh, we'll on, take them. We yeah. always take them. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a listed listed company on the on the Australian stock exchange mm. with New Zealand background. Has you know done something in 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 what we thought was a very established sector of accounting software and just made it their own mm. using cloud based technology, 
a beautiful experience and built up a phenomenal ecosystem. So another very impressive Australian company, I would say. So there's a number of those are two that come to mind immediately, and those are two very large ones, but um, but they, they've done brilliantly. Let's get on to hack and yeah. cybersecurity. So Cisco is a company that's in the hack portfolio. We've all heard of Cisco and their routers and servers and so forth. Tell us what their former CEO has said about cybersecurity. Yeah, their former CEO has said about cybersecurity, I believe, uh, that there are two, he said, <laughs> that there are, which is, you're right, it is, it is a portfolio company of HAT, one of the larger mm. companies. There are two types of companies in the world, those that have been hacked and those who don't yet know they have been hacked. <laughs> so I think that pretty much sets up why cybersecurity yeah. is such an interesting growth theme. So who are some of the players in this sector? Yeah, so the interesting thing about cybersecurity is that there's a couple of companies that most people would have heard of, particularly those that work in office jobs. So one would be, as you mentioned, Cisco, mm. and the other one would be Symantec, which you, many of your listeners would have heard of because they do a lot of the antivirus software that you yeah. see down the bottom right of your computer mm -hmm. screen. But actually, the thing about the cybersecurity companies is that there's a number of other businesses that are much smaller that wouldn't necessarily be household names but are doing amazing things. So uh, those are the companies that are part of our cybersecurity ETF hack. So there's a company such as CyberArk Software. It's another very significant security-focused business with a focus primarily on certain uh, certain sectors, financial services, so they secure banks and energy companies, etc. There's a company such as Palo Alto Networks, which does firewall technology. So the interesting thing about this space and perhaps the reason why we do think that for many people who want to exposure to the space, ETF investing makes sense, is that there won't be many that come to people's minds. We've got a company called Splunk in there. We've got a company that is, you know, based several companies that are Israeli companies. So this is where we think ETF investing really makes sense. Getting exposure to pure play cybersecurity companies via a single share all over the world, but not having to research Splunk or mm. CyberArk or Palo Alto Networks. So, so yeah. So, and the other thing about the cybersecurity companies is that you do have global giants, but there's also a large number of businesses that are quite small, relatively speaking, and are making their name, and therefore, again, are much lower under the radar for people to, to consider investing in as well. So, I'd, I'd be assuming that the cybersecurity space would it'd be like a battle and it'd be waged on many fronts, and it's an ongoing battle. It's not just something that once you've won the battle, you've won the war. Yeah. It keeps going on, doesn't it? it? It sure does. And that is, of course, the reason why with an investment in cybersecurity, you are essentially making an investment where you can make cybercrime pay. So make the criminals pay by, <laughs> by making money from the people who are protecting the world against cybercrime. So, and the numbers are just astounding. You know, in preparing for this chat, Phil, I looked at some statistics and just truly incredible statistics. So, in fact, there was an article quite literally today. It's August of 2020 at the moment. And there was an article today in the paper that said that 92% of Australian organizations, let alone the world, 92% of Australian organizations say they've suffered a, what they call a business impacting cybersecurity attack in the last 12 months. And more than half of those Australian companies said they've had five or more cybersecurity attacks in the last 12 months. So, um, there's literally one report to authorities in Australia on yeah, cybercrime yeah. every 10 minutes. Whoa. So it really is becoming crazy. And if you think about why that is, it's just because of the incredible exponential growth in data and just how much goes on in the internet minute you you know you can probably go there's a really interesting site called visual capitalist that's great isn't it i love visual capitalist yeah they do a thing called one internet minute mm. and in one internet minute the consumption of data that the world consumes is 
truly staggering. So I looked at it, uh, 2019 numbers were something like there was 4 million search queries on Google every minute, yeah. <laughs> 4.5 million videos viewed, 200 million emails sent, and here's the good one, 1.4 million swipes on Tinder per minute <laughs> in the world. So. So the thing is, with all that data, with all the sensitive information that companies and individuals are putting onto the internet, so too comes the opportunity for cyber criminals to profit from that and, and to hack into various networks, to hack into people's private information, to sell it on the dark web, all these sorts of things. And that is why, in our view, it's probably one of the technology's sector's most important secular growth themes, actually. And in that regard, a pretty interesting investment opportunity. And the way I think about it personally is it's a little bit like the foundations of a house. If technology is a big, big house that's being built, you can't really have a house without those foundations. And cybersecurity is a threshold to technology. So the more technology is, the more cybersecurity there is. But unlike the foundations of the house that we're currently sitting in right now, where you don't have to do anything about them ever again. These foundations have to be buttressed and improved all the time. And that involves spending and that involves cybersecurity spending. And that's why we really like it as a thematic. If we can take that analogy, you do have to get pest control in to stop the termites coming into old timber houses like this. That, that is perfect. That is exactly <laughs> right. And you've got to do it every year. And yeah. the termites might become a lot stronger and bigger and maybe start being able to bite through not only wood, but steel. And mm-hmm. then when you bring in some brand new piece of timber, they're going to work out how to break into that timber. So I think it's a great analogy to use. ShareSight is an online portfolio tracking tool that automatically records trades, dividends, ETF distributions, and gives you the reporting tools you need to help you manage your portfolio. ShareSight is pleased to extend a special offer to listeners of this podcast. Four months free on an annual premium plan. Go to ShareSight.com slash shares for beginners and sign up now for a free trial before taking advantage of four free months. It'll help you save money at tax time and improve your investing decisions. That's ShareSight.com slash shares for beginners. I think it's a good idea to turn the tables and ask you a question or two. And <laughs> Fine, okay. We thought we'd go with the, do the true or false game. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about three different hacks and mm-hmm. I'll ask you whether they're true or false. Okay. So the first one is hackers sent out fake tweets from the accounts of Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Michael Bloomberg, tech billionaires, such as Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, the Tesla CEO Elon Musk. And those tweets were sent out on Twitter, of course, and they offered to send $2,000 for every $1,000 sent to an anonymous Bitcoin address. And uh, that particular hack scammed people globally out of around about at least $100,000, if not more. And uh, there was a 17-year-old person in Florida accused as the hacker. True or false? I think I've heard the story, and I think it's true. <laughs> it's and it is absolutely true. true. It was such an embarrassment for all those tech giants. <laughs> it, was, it is indeed true. And in yeah. fact, it was actually only in July of this year. So mm-hmm. it was very recent. Well done. Well, that's one out of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is another one I'll read out, which is associated with BP, the very large oil company. So hackers infiltrated BP's computer system, which regulates pricing at their petrol stations around Australia and the world. And in Australia, for six hours, petrol was priced at one cent a litre. And so that cost BP over $10 million in lost revenue before it was fixed and prices were stabilised. True or false? It's such a good story. I want it to be true. (laughs) Let's say false. (laughs) And you're right. It is false. But you can see how it could happen quite easily. And and sometimes, sorry, I'll just interrupt here for a moment, because sometimes some of these attacks are purely malicious. They're not actually for making money at all. They're just to 100%. create mischief, aren't Indeed, they? indeed, yeah. indeed. And we can talk through sort of some of the very high-level types of cybersecurity yeah. attacks there are, but that's right. So, But to anyway, complete the game and give you your full marks, hopefully, is one associated with the FBI. 
So the FBI was hacked by a 15-year-old boy in the U.S., who released a whole lot of information about every undercover FBI officer in the whole of the USA and was released onto what's known as the dark web, which is a place where shady characters are able to buy and sell information and, and more than just information. So the most secure system in the whole of the US government was vulnerable to a rank amateur hacker, and that raised a whole lot of eyebrows for the FBI. True or false? You'd want it to be false, <laughs> but I'm thinking it's true. <laughs> and it is indeed true. It happened in 2016, and uh, just an incredible, yeah. embarrassing situation for the FBI. So, well done, 100%. But those are some of the things that, uh, yeah. that we've seen around the world, and obviously so many more. Why do you believe that there's a lack of exposure to technology and cybersecurity in local markets? Well, it really comes down to the relative immaturity of the Australian technology sector, which, as I said before, is growing, and we're mm. really proud of being able to offer sort of ETFs that give you exposure to the Australian technology sector. But it's still honestly very small compared to far more established markets such as the US, uh, Japan, Israel as well. So Australian investors therefore don't have many options for uh, getting investment to things like the the cybersecurity sector. There just simply are not any large yeah. cybersecurity companies. In fact, there's almost no pure play cybersecurity firms listed on the ASX. And in fact, as it turns out, the whole technology sector only makes up 3% of the ASX 200. That's a 30 June. So it's very small. And you can imagine that cybersecurity is only one part of technology. So for that to be a significant part of the Australian experience from an investor perspective is very low. So so that's why being able to access an easy, simple way to get an all-in-one thematic exposure to cybersecurity, like a share on the ASX, has resonated quite so well. There's no tax and no admin burden either. So so that's, that yeah. would be my answer to that. Yeah, it was just interesting when uh, Steve Mabb, who I referred to before, brought up the Hack ETF, Yes, how much interest it uh, garnered. I mean, truly, people were really interested to hear so much more about it. Hence, you're coming in here today. Yeah, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, No, be because it is to. one of those themes that once you hear about it, it makes total and absolute sense. Not that we're recommending anyone buy it, but we're just putting Absolutely the information not. out here. But if one has yeah. to think through what are some truly, and I do use the word secular, growth thematics as an investor, there are a number of them, but cybersecurity must feature as something that it would be very hard for anyone to argue would not grow. And we do have you know, some pretty renowned forecasters thinking about what those actual numbers look like as well in yeah. terms of cybersecurity spending. So it's not just pie in the sky. It's fairly obvious that yeah. it's going to grow. What is secular growth? Sorry, that's an interesting term. Yeah, sorry, I've used that a few times, and yeah. it's great for you to ask me. It's really growth that is is essentially fundamental mm. to the growth of our world. So it is a it's a it's a growth theme that does not necessarily require some externality to grow. So obviously, at the moment, we're seeing tremendous growth in let's say, the delivery of alcohol because people are locked down uh, and in Melbourne and maybe Sydney in the future, who knows, and want a way to release themselves so they're getting alcohol delivery. That is something that has happened due to an exogenous event or due to an external event. A secular growth theme is something that will happen no matter what. And that, we believe, is one of which cybersecurity is. And there's others you can think about as well. So cloud computing, mm. you know, it's, another, it's another one. Just a general growth of technology, of course, itself is you know, the move towards ethical investing and the move towards clean technology is another theme that is happening to mm. us in a secular way. So that's probably a little bit of a complex word for what I really mean to say. It's just a fundamental growth yeah. component of the world. You can't get in the way of it. It's going to weigh you down if you don't get, get involved with it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So is, is hack actively managed or it's passive? 
It is passive. Yeah. Most of our funds, are, we've got 65, most of them are passively managed. We mm-hmm. do actually have some actively managed ETFs, but this is passively managed, and that means that it aims to track an existing cybersecurity index. And in this case, we aim to track the what's known as the NASDAQ CTA Cybersecurity Index. And so that is a NASDAQ, is a company that, that produces and publishes this index. And essentially, the index tries to give you exposure to companies of a certain size. They have to be larger than 250 million US dollars. Uh, so that's not a complete startup, definitely yep. not, but nor is it a huge business. So, you know, Cisco would have a $50 billion market cap to give you a sense. So 250 million US is actually relatively small. So therefore, this index aims to provide exposure to companies both large and small. But the key thing is that they need to be pure place cybersecurity companies. So the CTA in the NASDAQ CTA index is what's known as the Consumer Technology Association. Some of your listeners may have heard about this very large show in the US in Las Vegas called the Consumer Technology Association show. The CTA show used to be called CES. And that's where all companies around the world come and bring all their amazing technologies. So that's the CTA. But they're also a standard setter for Mm. US technology. So they basically look through every technology company in the world and determine whether one is a company that primarily makes its money from cybersecurity. It's very important for us when we bring out these types of products, just thinking about our own process, that when we say that something is a cybersecurity company, it really gives you exposure to cybersecurity because you would hate to be in a situation where cybersecurity spending rises and the companies are not affected by that in any meaningful way. So the fact that we have one of the leading organizations in the world of technology denoting whether something is a technology is a cybersecurity company or not is very important so they are denoted to be a cybersecurity company they have to be larger than 250 million dollars uh, and they can be anywhere around the world mm. and at the moment there's 43 companies that are in that index and the, this product aims to track that index because that's really important with ETFs that the thematic that they're talking about is actually reflected in the companies that are being invested in. I mean, I have heard there are criticisms of robotics companies that uh, a lot of the companies that might be in a particular fund um, are not really robotics. They're just companies that happen to use robotics. That's right. You really need to make sure that mm. the ETF goes beyond the, the label that it says and actually gives you exposure to that theme. And we are razor-sharp focused on that issue. It's really important to us. Let's hear about the performance of the fund. Yeah, so that fund was launched about four years ago in mm-hmm. August 2016. I'm happy to say that just with the growth of cybersecurity, the performance has been very, very strong. So if we look, for example, at the performance since inception, uh, which is about four years ago, yep. that that has returned around about 20, 21% per year. So that's a very significant performance. Now, in that period... And that's right up until today, isn't it? So we've got is. the NASDAQ at all-time highs today. And, that yeah, is. Yeah. That is. So that's helped it. There's tailwinds. That's definitely there's helped secular it. tailwinds. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So just to just put that 20% in context, so the US market, the S&P 500, mm. in that same period is up 15%. So it's done 5% more yep. than the US market, and it's done 14% more than the ASX 200. Mm-hmm. So very significant now performance. So in that period, the ASX returned about 7% a year, returned 20% a year and the S&P 500 returned 15% a year. So it's been a pretty handy outperformance, no doubt. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Steve Mabb, who I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we were talking about Hack the other day and he was talking about some very large final distributions over the last couple of years and he just wanted me to ask you, is that a sustainable thing and why are there such large end-of-year distributions from this CTF? It's a great question and it's very important to address that. So 
First of all, I don't think that anyone who should be looking to invest in technology investing or growth-oriented investing should be focused on on income. It's yeah, not, right. it's not, not a dividend reason. stock. It's not a dividend stock. So what does bank. that mean? What does the distribution mean? The distribution is in ETF land because we have to – because the ETF is what's known as a trust, we have to make sure that if you have any gains – over the financial year, we have to pay that out to investors. So those gains can either come from income that we receive, which we pay out obviously either semi-annually or or quarterly as the case may be for our ETFs, but they can come from capital gains. And so what happened in the financial year of 2020 that's just ended is that the underlying portfolio had a very, very strong capital growth. And so when we then rebalanced the portfolio, which we do every um, every six months. So what rebalancing means is we look at the index again and make sure that our, our ETF is tracking new companies that are coming in or selling old companies that are no longer as big or you know have dropped out of the index. When that happened, we sold companies that have very large gains. Hmm. And those gains were distributed as capital gains to investors. So that will not always be the case moving forward. And I certainly don't think it's the expectation that somebody should have. You should be looking at that total return figure which is largely driven by capital in the case of the Hack ETF. Mm. And what are the fees? So our fees are 67 basis points. That's a very technical word, which I hate to use, which means 0.67% a year. And 0.67% a year equates to $67 for every $10,000 you invest per year Mm. or $6.70 for every $1,000 you invest per year. So it's significantly lower than an actively managed fund, which typically will charge 1.5% or so. So it's more than half of of that that sort of a fee. Yeah. Okay. So with ETFs, it's a useful way of providing diversification, and it's providing diversification across different sectors and also different countries and different, different exchanges. What are you telling kids about investing and how to make sense of it? Well, I'm certainly putting all of the kids, you know, money into ETF. So I'm definitely was that what they call eating your my own dog food. <laughs> I'm telling kids that they're a little bit young to one of my, my eight year old might be starting to think about money, but the other two are very, very young. But they um, what I'm telling anybody who wants to listen is to focus a lot on diver- being diversified, to make sure that you have very low costs in your portfolios, because those are really one of the only things you can you can actually control. You can't really control the market. That's the old uh, Jack Bogle line, isn't it? That's the old Jack Bogle line. So making Mm -hmm. sure you're focusing on fees, making sure you invest in something that you understand, not only that, of course, you understand the way in which you're investing, but also the companies you're investing in, at least be able to put your hand on your heart and say, yeah, I actually think that cybersecurity is something interesting, so I've invested in that. I think it's really important from an engagement perspective as well as actually just making sure you know what you're doing. So I'm telling them to make sure they understand what you're doing, but also to make sure the portfolio is right for your age. So the person with a 50-year period between now and retirement really shouldn't be focusing on income. They should be focusing on capital growth. They should be focusing on getting exposure away from Australia and, and making sure that they don't have too much of their portfolio in cash. It's very easy to get invested in cash, but the truth is that over time, volatility is high in the market, but it does provide a very handy source of return over the many, many years which those types of people have to invest. On the other hand, if you've got less time, then you have to de-risk your portfolio and start investing in other types of assets, not just shares. So really, it's a combination of diversifying, very low-cost core exposures. And then when it comes to picking single stocks or, or some that you find a bit more exciting or sexy, that's great. And I think it's really interesting, but maybe don't do it for the whole of your portfolio. Maybe mm. keep 
keep that into what we call satellite investing and, and invest in that way um, is a, probably a much better way to go for the vast majority of investors. And ETFs are also a great way for um, investing in different asset classes as well. People don't understand that there's different asset classes and a financial advisor will advise you to be in um, different asset classes. Are there any um, of those like bonds or things that are provided in your ETFs? Yeah, no, we've, we've, got, we've got a whole range of, 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 of products. We've got 65 products and mm-hmm. they actually cover all the asset classes. So we've spoken today about global shares a lot, mm. but we actually have Australian shares ETFs, including the lowest cost Australian shares ETF there is, um, which is called A200. We have uh, a range of fixed income products, both global and uh, and Australian uh, fixed income products. We have a cash ETF. In fact, we've even got exposure to gold, uh, in, which is something that's been very popular in this recent mm. turmoil. So there's a number of ways you can diversify your portfolio with ETFs from ourselves and our other, and our other um, ETF managers in Australia. Thank you very much for coming in today, Yolan. It's been great meeting with you. Thank you. It's been great to be here, Phil. Thanks for all your time. The company and or guest has contributed to the costs associated with producing this episode of Shares for Beginners. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.